Two weeks ago, I sat down on a Sunday morning to watch the service online, just like you're doing right now. I was unaware that some of the time that morning was going to be about my 30 years of service as the pastor here at Seabreeze. In the next 24 hours, I received and read hundreds of emails and cards from so many of you talking about how God had used Seabreeze over the years to impact your lives. Again and again, as I read those emails and cards, I just had to stop because my eyes were just welling up with tears as I read how God has impacted and changed your life through the ministry of Seabreeze. And it was clear to me as I did that that every bump along the road was very small in comparison to the great privilege of impacting the lives of people for all of eternity. Now, I didn't get a chance to respond two weeks ago, so now's my chance to respond. First of all, I want to thank all of you who took the time to write a card or to email me or to wait in that long line of cars that uh, evening to honor me, and I want to just thank you for the time that you took to do that. I was deeply honored and encouraged by you. Secondly, I wish I could convey to you the fact that what we were really celebrating two weeks ago was the faithfulness of God to us as a church. If you could only see how thin the ice was under me personally sometimes over the last 30 years, or how thin the ice has been under Seabreeze over that period of time, you would know that it was the faithfulness of God that we were celebrating. He is the reason that I and we as a church have not fallen through the ice. Now, the third thing I want to talk about uh, really today is the impact that we can make as a group. Impact is a group project. I am not the author of a best-selling book that has impacted the world. I'm not a well-known celebrity that gets everything that they say and do broadcast around the world. I am the pastor of a church that very few people know about. But this is how God changes the world. Impact is made as people decide to follow Jesus Christ, and then they band together in churches big and mostly smaller, and then they go about the business of loving people around them and sharing God's truth with them. Now, it's easy to miss the power of this kind of impact because it's never large enough to make the news cycle. But I saw a glimpse of it two weeks ago in your cards and your comments and your emails. Now, in this season when almost everything around us is different, we have been looking at how God wants us to be different. Our guide has been the New Testament book of First Peter. In the last chapter of this book, we are given a description of the kind of person that God uses to make an impact, a significant impact. Now, these verses are addressed to the elders of the church. These are the individuals who led the church at the time. But its truth is not limited to those who lead in a church context. It's really about how impact occurs in every area of life, whether it's parenting or in the business realm or in government or in the school environment. Really, any part of life, this is how impact occurs. Here's what we read in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. This is describing the kind of person who will make an impact for good in this world. Now, the word impact comes from the field of physics, Isaac Newton is recognized as the father of physics, and his first law is called the law of inertia. And this is what it says, objects tend to remain in their current state unless acted on by an external force. Now, the event that moves an object and changes the direction of an object is called impact. 
It's when an object comes in contact with another object and moves it or changes its direction. But objects, of course, are not the only thing that are impacted. That's why we use this word impact not just in physics, but also in life. People can also be impacted. Now we, kind of like objects, we tend to remain in our current state. The best indicator of future human behavior is past human behavior. But the direction of our souls can be changed and we can be moved and impacted by other people. The question is how? In physics, it's energy that causes impact. In soul physics, it's relationships that cause impact. We don't just bump into people, have a brief exchange, and then impact them. We relate to them, and we influence them by those relationships, and they influence us. Now, these four verses that we just read in 1 Peter identify the three personal qualities that will determine the size of our impact. They are presented to us not in list form, but as a comparison, really as a continuum that goes from low impact all the way to high impact. And that's because impact is not just something we suddenly arrive at. It's not just a list that we can accomplish and we're done with. It is something that we make progress in over time. And really like almost everything else in life, it's kind of a two steps forward, one step back kind of progress. Now the three continuums of impact that are described and are identified in these verses are identified by the two words not and but. The word not precedes the low impact quality, and the word but precedes the high impact quality. So listen to the three continuums, and this is how they're described. Not because you must, that's a low impact quality, but because you are willing, that's a high impact quality. Not greedy for money, low impact, but eager to serve, high impact. Not lording over those entrusted to you, low impact, but being examples to the flock. Now, we're going to summarize these three qualities of impact this morning. This is what's true of high impact people. First of all, high impact people are internally motivated. They're internally motivated. As it says, not because you must, you have to, but because you are willing, you want to. High-impact people are fueled on the inside by a passion. Low-impact people are fueled by obligation. The reason for the difference in impact is the size of their motivation tank. Impact, especially when it comes to people impact, is not a singular event. It takes time to really make an impact in people's lives. It's a long-term investment. And that can be a very tiring and frustrating and conflict-filled experience. So if what motivates us in our relationships with people is this obligation, this I have to, then we're going to run out of motivation gas long before we can make an impact in anyone's life. Now this is the first part of the impact continuum. So let's put it on the impact continuum. Low impact is duty. I have to. Obligation. High impact, on the other hand, occurs from people who move out of desire. They want to do this. They are willing to do this. Now, this is not an either-or. This is a continuum. And I say that because duty is not a bad thing. In fact, duty is very important. It's how we start. We We start with duty in order to get to desire. Without duty, you won't even get started on making an impact in life. We start with duty, and that allows us to grow desire over time. Duty is kind of like scaffolding that surrounds the desire that is trying to be built. It allows you to begin to build the desire that really fuels impact. This is the picture of the 
scaffolding that was used a few years ago to surround our nation's rotunda in the renovation project. Now, the scaffolding is necessary to get the workers in position to do the construction, to do the building. And it's the same with duty. Duty puts you in a position to build desire. Let me give you an example from parenting. Uh, my wife and I really wanted to raise our two children to be grateful and forgiving adults. Those weren't the only two qualities, but those were two very important qualities to us. We wanted them to be forgiving adults, and we wanted them to be grateful adults. But we didn't start building this desire in them by waiting for the desire just naturally to arise out of them. We didn't wait, for example, for gratitude to rise out of their hearts because, well, it just didn't. They were not naturally grateful people. We had to tell them over and over again to say thank you. And if they would forget, then we would say what many parents say, what do you say? And that was their cue, oh, say thank you. We must have said that thousands of times. What do you say? And they would say thank you. And every time they said thank you, it was said out of duty, not out of desire. It was, they were just responding to what we were instructing them to do. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, it was the same thing. Whenever they wronged each other, they wouldn't want to forgive each other. We, if we had waited for the forgiveness just to kind of naturally rise out of their hearts, well, it would never have happened. So we taught them what to say. We instructed them how to ask for forgiveness and how to give forgiveness, what words to say. We taught them to say, would you forgive me for what it was? And then the other one would say, yes, I forgive you. And then we taught them to give each other a hug at the end of that. Now, to be honest, there were a lot of wooden sounding words of forgiveness and pretty stiff hugs of forgiveness for many, many years in our home. Sometimes, actually, it was pretty laughable watching them ask for forgiveness because you could just tell they did not want to do this. This was all out of duty. But eventually, slowly, over years, they started asking for forgiveness on their own. And they started saying thank you without being prompted to say thank you. And the reason was because they were moving from duty to desire. And they were becoming people of greater impact. One of the dangerous ideas in our culture right now is that duty is bad. It comes out of the phrase we often hear a lot, and that is you just need to follow your heart. You need to do something that you're passionate about. Now, that is partly true. If you don't do something that your heart gets into, then you're really not going to make much of an impact in life. But what many people don't understand is that duty is the structure that is required to build a desire for what is right. The reason we need the scaffolding of duty is because sin has warped our passions, our desires for what is right. So in the moment, we tend to struggle to want to do the right thing, to want to do what pleases God and really ends up making an impact for good in this world. That's why the scaffolding of duty must be built around the things that are pleasing to God. And then as we work on that duty, we can grow towards desire. As we consistently do those things, over time, God will grow the desire in our heart for what is right and will increase our impact. Let me give you an example from my own life personally. In my 20s, I started putting some structure, building some structure, some scaffolding, so to speak, around a time of daily reading of God's Word and spending time in prayer with Him. Now, to be honest, some days I wanted to do that, but most days I would wake up and I would not want to read the Bible and I would not want to pray. I did it many, many, many days just out of a sense of this is what I need to do. It was out of a sense of duty. But now, in my 60s, it's very much the opposite. Most days, 
I really look forward to it. Now, not every day. There's still days where I just do it out of duty. But most days, a whole lot more than in my 20s, I spend time with God reading His Word and praying, not because I have to, but because I really want to. But if I had not stuck with the scaffolding of building that pattern in my life, then the desire for God and His Word would never have grown. So high-impact people are internally motivated. Secondly, high-impact people are outward-focused. They're outward-focused. As it says here, not greedy for money, that's inward-focused, but eager to serve, that's outward-focused. Now, in physics, impact requires contact. One object cannot impact another object without coming in contact with it. At a great distance, you can't have impact. Now, there are a few exceptions to this in physics, and we'll get into that in the next point. But for the most part, impact is a contact event. And it's the same when it comes to the physics of the soul and personal impact. In order to impact another person, in order to impact a soul, you must connect with that soul. You must make contact with that person. The problem is that our souls are pretty defensive. The reason is we live in a broken world that's been tainted by sin, and there's a lot of ways to get hurt in this world. And so because we have been hurt and are easily hurt, we are very cautious, rightly so, about who we trust and who we let into our hearts. And some people have been so hurt that they've decided not to ever let anyone in again. They've developed very, very thick walls around their soul. So how do you get past the natural defenses of the soul in order to make an impact on someone else's life? Well, the primary way that occurs is as we serve each other, as we serve people. Not just once, not just occasionally, but as a pattern of life. Just think of the people who have served you significantly in your life, who have really, really helped you. Do you trust them? Probably you do, and you have reason to trust them. Have they impacted your life? Probably they have. But what gets in the way of us serving? Well, it's selfishness. It's our greed. Greed is the opposite of serving. Its focus is on getting, not on giving. So let's add this now to our impact continuum. The low impact is getting, selfishness. The high impact is giving, being of service. Now, like duty and desire that we just talked about, this is not an either-or proposition. Again, this is a continuum. So getting is not bad. This is not bad and good. Getting is not bad. We do have needs. We have some things we need to get. The problem is when we get into greed. Greed expands our legitimate needs into a relentless focus on getting more, and it locks us on the low-impact side of the continuum. This leaves us with little or no time to give and to serve others. No one is ever impacted for good by how much we have. They are impacted for good by how much we give. That's where impact comes. Now, how can you tell where you are on this part of the impact continuum? How do you know whether you're on the greedy side or you're on the giving side? Well, don't trust your own read on yourself because that can be pretty confusing. The best indicator of where you're at on this continuum is how you're handling your money. That's why it talks about money in this comparison. Money, it turns out, is like a barometer, a barometer that measures the condition of the heart. Meteorologists use a barometer to measure the barometric pressure because that is one of the most direct ways of understanding the weather patterns. In the same way, money is one of the best ways to understand the patterns of the human heart. Money does not lie. It tells the truth. 
our hearts are very complicated. They're so complicated that sometimes we can't really even get a read on our own hearts. But if you want to know whether a heart is oriented outward or whether it's oriented inward, all you have to do is look at the bank account, and it will not lie. Now, of course, some of the money will be spent inward on needs, but if there is not a consistent pattern, a growing pattern of generosity, then the indicator is pointing to the left side of the continuum, where the impact on others will be small or non-existent. So if you want to move the impact needle to the right, start giving and start serving. And if you already are and you want to continue to grow in your impact, then increase your giving and increase your serving. The third characteristic that's true of high-impact people is high-impact people are character-driven. As it says, not lording it over, bossing, telling people what to do, but being examples. Now, as I said earlier, in physics, there is no impact without contact. An object cannot impact another object at a distance. But one of the few exceptions is the pull of gravity that is caused by the mass of an object. For example, the tides of the oceans rise and fall because of the moon. But the moon never touches a single ocean. It's the mass of the, the moon and the gravity that's created by that mass that impacts the oceans and moves the tides. The same kind of thing, same kind of thing occurs in soul physics. We are moved by the character of another individual. The weight of their example challenges us and can move us. Now, lording it over, as it talks about here, is attempting to push someone, to get them to do what we want them to do, even if we think it's a good thing. We use our words to push them, to kind of be the boss of them. We maybe use uh, emotions and manipulation to get them to do something. But the opposite, that's a low-impact attempt. The opposite is to be an example. An example, kind of like the moon, that, that pulls. It's a gravity kind of thing. It pulls people and has more impact that way. So let's add this to our impact continuum. The low impact side is when we try to control people. On this, our primary focus is on what they're doing or should be doing and how we can get them to change. That's low impact. That's not really going to work. High impact people don't focus on what someone is doing. They focus on themselves and what they're doing and what they should be doing and how they should be growing. Now, like duty and desire and getting and giving, this is not an either or. This is a continuum. There are times when we are in charge, of course, and we need to set direction. You know, if you're a parent, you can't just wait for the example of your character to help your kids know what to do. Or if you're uh, in charge on the job, you can't just wait for people who are under you to know what to do. You need to set direction. You need to, to be the boss. But impact never occurs on the bossing side of things, on the lording it over people side of things. People are not changed by being told what to do. They are changed by seeing someone else do something and saying they want to be like that person. Now, the problem is that as examples, we are not always the best. We're all hit and miss when it comes to the quality of our example. Sometimes we're good examples. Sometimes we're not so good examples. So should we wait until we are so amazing as examples that we, while we glow in the dark at night, we're so amazing? No, that's just never going to happen. We need to continue to grow in character, and that's how our impact will grow also. And that brings us to the big impact question. How do you move the needle and grow from low impact to high impact? Well, the next two verses talk about what that is. It describes the fact that impact advances on one track, and that is humility. 
you want to grow in impact, humble yourself. Your impact will grow. Here's what we read in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Now, Newton's most famous law of physics, of course, is the law of gravity. Gravity is a force that pulls objects downward towards the Earth's surface. Now, in soul physics, there is a similar law to the law of gravity. It's called the law of humility. And it is a downward force, but it's not a force that naturally pulls our souls back down to Earth. In fact, we have to decide to pull ourselves back down to Earth. We have to decide to humble ourselves. It's not something that's done to us. It's something that we must choose to do ourselves. Now, what does it look like to humble yourself? Here's how it's described. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. It's describing humility kind of like an outfit that you put on. You, you, depending on the situation, you choose to be humble in that situation. So let me suggest four humility outfits for you to choose from. The first one is when you fall up. As it talks about here, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. If you're young, one of the best ways you can grow an impact is to learn well how to follow, whether in a formal situation or informal situation. Find someone a little ahead of you, a little older than you, and follow them and learn how to follow well. The fast track to future impact is following. A lot of people don't know this. If you want to become a person of impact, learn how to follow. You know, the worst followers make the worst leaders. And conversely, the best followers make the best leaders. So learn how to follow. Put on the following humility outfit. The second humility outfit I want to suggest is when you're in conversation. When you're in conversation, to humble yourself, choose to do more listening than talking. And choose to ask more questions than share opinions. If you do so, you're putting on the humility outfit in conversation. You're listening. You're not pontificating. You're not uh, grabbing the limelight. You're putting on humility in conversation. The next outfit is when you find yourself in a conflict. When you're in a conflict, the humility outfit basically says, I'm going to be quick to look at what I've done wrong. I'm going to consider what they're saying carefully. Rather than try to make my point first, I'm going to listen to what I've done wrong, and I'm going to ask forgiveness for that. That's a humble approach when you find yourself in conflict. And then the last humility outfit I want to suggest is when you have failed, when you've stumbled, when you've fallen down, when you've messed up. It's really, really helpful to be humble at that point. So when you failed, get out your humility PJs and put them on and walk out of the darkness, out of the shadow, and rather than pretend that you're fine, everything is okay, be honest with a few people about the mistake you've made, about how you've fallen, and ask for help rather than cover it up and pretend that you're just fine. Now, if we don't clothe ourselves in humility, if we don't put these humility outfits on, then God, in a moment, in a time of His choosing, He will humble us. As it says, God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. What this is saying is when we get into pride, when we don't humble ourselves, we are actually asking God to oppose us. That is not a smart thing to do. Now, if we thought gravity was powerful, wait until the full weight of God comes crashing down in your life. That is heaviness. But if we will just humble ourselves, then the reverse will be true. God will show us favor. 
He will lift, lift us up in due time. Now, the hard part about that statement is due time. When is God going to lift us up? When is He going to allow our impact to be seen and recognized? Well, only God knows when we are humble enough for that to occur, and we just have to wait. So what's at stake in this impact continuum? Why does this really matter? Sure, impact is good, but there's a high price to become a person of impact. So why not just do whatever you want? Why not just focus on yourself? Why not reject the hard and the long and the humbling process of growing in character or desire? Why not just be a low-impact person? Well, in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, we read this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, the one who has made the largest impact on this world, returns, he will wrap up history. And at that point, he will hand out crowns of glory to those who have joined him in making an impact in this world. Now, a crown is a symbol of great status and accomplishment. Every single earthly crown fades, and the glory that goes with it fades. But we are told this crown will never fade. So in exchange for doing the work of impact for a few short decades in this life, what this is saying is we will get a chance to bask in the glory, in the amazing privilege of enjoying the impact that we've made in this world forever. I don't know about you, but that's an opportunity that I do not plan to miss out on. So as we wrap up, I've got a couple of next steps that I would recommend for you. Maybe God spoke to you about something else, and if so, please do that. But if not, here's some suggestions. First, think about your own impact in your life and ask, what part of your life could use some scaffolding? Where do you need to begin to build something, some structure into your life so that God can begin to grow a desire for the things that please Him in your heart? Where are some scaffolding needs? The second question is, how can you humble yourself this week? Which one of those four humble outfits can you put on? What situation are you in that you need to, to put on and clothe yourself with humility? And go ahead and do that this week. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word that shows us how to invest our life. And we recognize that we've all made mistakes. We've all tended towards the low-impact side. That's more natural to us. But at any point in time, no matter how old we are, we can begin to move towards what is high impact. And in the days that we have left, we can make a tremendous impact in a way that pleases you. So I pray that you would give us insight into where we need to build some scaffolding, some structures, some duties to begin to grow the desire for what is right. And I pray that you would show us how we need to humble ourselves specifically so that you can grow our impact over time. We thank you for the privilege of being in this community and allowing us to make an impact over the years in this community. And we pray for many more years together as a church to see many more lives changed. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.